0: We have a it is evenings afternoons like this. Why? It, you cannot believe everything you hear in the news. It is just such garbage. ...to believe that Jeff Flake is retiring from the United States Senate uh, because of Trumpism. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750, WSB, the phone number 404 872 750 WSB Talk. And do not forget, you can text the word SHOW to 444-999, uh, get the show notes, the podcast, all of that stuff. For you. You're going to want to subscribe uh, for tomorrow to get all the Jeff Flakes up, because so much of what you are being told is not true today, and I have heard it all. Poor Jeff Flake. He got... he, he, he Steve Bannon chased him off. Poor Jeff Flake. He made the president mad, and he's having to run away because now he can't get elected because of the president. Oh... Jeff Flake's a victim. No, he's not. Jeff Flake's a liar and a fraud, and that is why he lost. And this is one of those times where I'm sorry, friends of mine who dislike the president and therefore love Jeff Flake and think he's a martyred saint now, uh, you are wrong. And those of you who think Steve Bannon chased him off and, and that the president is stronger than Flake, you're wrong. To, you're all wrong. I mean, all of you people are telling yourselves lies today. Jeff Flake and the president have nothing to do with it, although it's in everybody's vested interest to claim that Jeff Flake is quitting the Senate because he couldn't stand up to the president. I mean, that was basically Jeff Flake's speech today is that uh, there's a there's a fever and the fever will break, but there's just no place for me right now in the Republican Party. Cue the small violin. Uh, uh, so frustrating Um, in fact let me play you a a brief snippet from his introductory remarks on the fourth senate when the next generation asks us why didn't you do something why didn't you speak up what are we going to say I quit how about that Mr. President I rise today to say enough we must dedicate ourselves to making sure that the anomalous never becomes the normal. With respect and humility, I must say that we have fooled ourselves for long enough that a pivot to governing is right around the corner, a return to civility civility and stability right behind it. We know better than that. By now, we all know better than that. Oh, and of course the media's going, oh, Jeff Flake's finally told the truth. And oh, because he's told the truth about the president, he can't stay in the Senate because now he's going to be crushed in his election by the evil, awful white supremacist Trump. It's such garbage. It is garbage. I will tell you why Jeff Flake is leaving the Senate and it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. Okay, let me give you data points on Jeff Flake that explain why he's leaving the Senate and why it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. Jeff Flake started his political career in the House of Representatives. In 2004, he got elected. And in 2005, the the Club for Growth backed him. He was the most prominent um, candidate on the Club for Growth list in 2004. So let's look at the Club for Growth scorecard. In 2005, Jeff Flake had a 100% score. 100% with the Club for Growth in 2006 100% in 2007 100% for those of you who don't know the club for growth is the fiscal conservative organization in Washington they are the group they're, they're probably the most successful outside group at finding good fiscally conservative candidates and Jeff Flake was their model he literally was on all of their their scorecards he was the guy they poured resources into his race in 2004 Jeff Flake got elected in 2004 and he had a hundred percent Club for Growth score. That means that on everything the Club for Growth wanted him to vote for, he voted for. And everything the Club for Growth wanted him to vote against, he voted against. 100% score in 2005, in 2006, in 2007, in 2008, in 2009, in 2010, in 2011, in 2012. Jeff, like, 100% score with the Club for Growth. In fact, in 2012, I was at the Club for Growth's meeting in Florida. And Jeff Flake was there, and he pulled me aside, he and his wife. We had a long conversation about him running for the Senate. There were several people. He wanted my support. He wanted my endorsement. And I saw his Club for Growth score, he told me, and he would be taking that to the Senate jeff flake was going to the senate he was the club for growth's candidate he was at the club for growth event he was the one of the i think three people in the house of representatives and his was the longest he was the longest serving member of the house of representatives with a hundred percent lifetime score for the club for growth and he was going to go to the senate like that so he got to the senate and what happened well, in 2013, he had an 84% score on the Club for Growth card once the Senate. He was actually below Mitch McConnell. In 2014, he had a 90%. Now, that sounds great, but when you consider all the things the Club for Growth scores, it really wasn't. Um, in fact, um, he had, let's see, where where's Flake here? Um, yep, in fact, Flake was lower than a number of people who had worse lifetime scores than him. So it sounded really good, but it wasn't. Chuck Grassley, for example, has a lifetime score of 80% with the Club for Growth, but he outperformed Flake in 2014 when he was on the ballot. Seven senators with lifetime scores lower than Jeff Flake's outperformed Jeff Flake in the 2014 scorecard. In 2015... He went up to 93%. But in 2016, Jeff Flake's scorecard with the Club for Growth was 84%, which if you're a Republican senator, there's no reason you should be making less than 90%. It is only the squish Republicans who fall out of the 90th percentile with Club for Growth. But let's look at a different scorecard, though. Let's look at Heritage Action. In Heritage Action, when Jeff Flake was in the House of Representatives, his Heritage Action for America scorecard, he had a 97% for Heritage Action. That means he voted with Heritage Action 97% of the time. The year after he got to the Senate, 59% of the time. That was below the average for Senate Republicans. His score last year was a 67%, also below the average of Republicans last year. So you see, the reason Jeff Flake is losing has nothing to do with Steve Bannon. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump. I mean, Steve Bannon has a vested interest in telling you it has to do with Steve Bannon. Donald Trump has a vested interest in telling you it has to do with Donald Trump. And hell, Jeff Flake has a vested interest in you believing it because he wants a cushy job in some academic think tank or on TV and wants to be able to say he's a victim. He's being chased out by the white nationalists and the alt-right and all that. But that's not true at all. The reason Jeff Flake is losing is because of his fundamentals back home in Arizona. Remember, all politics is local. Jeff Flake rallied conservatives in Arizona and said, I'm your guy with 100% Club for Growth rating, and I'm going to take it to the Senate. And then he went to the Senate, and he puked all over his record. He betrayed all the conservatives back home. He betrayed the conservative donors. He betrayed the people like me who said, I'm going to be the Club for Growth 100 percenter in the Senate. Jeff Flake was none of those things, and now he's going to lose his reelection. Not because he stood up to Donald Trump, and you know the the proof of that is Ben's ass. The proof of that is Ted Cruz. The proof of that is all of these other Republican senators who have been willing to have principled disagreements with the president, but they are still fundamentally institutionally conservative. If Jeff Flake were still fundamentally institutionally a conservative, He could run. And what his speech today is signaling is essentially um, someone can run and win who is what I claim to be, but not me. It had nothing to do with the president. It had nothing to do with Steve Bannon. It had everything to do with Jeff Flake campaigning as a fiscal conservative getting the support of conservatives as a fiscal conservative, and then going to the Senate and supporting uh, Democratic immigration reform, Democratic budget hikes, Democratic efforts to to reform Obamacare instead of repeal it, and on and on and on it went. That's Jeff Flake's problem. It's just no one in Washington profits from you knowing that truth. It's 26 after the hour, Eric Erickson here, the phone number 404 750 1800 Let's go to the phones, David in Conyers. You are up first tonight. Welcome. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Good, how are you? Hey, I got one question. Number one, I'm surprised he kept his 100% rating as long as he did in the house, but what happened? How did he go from 100% in the house to, to less than 80%? Yeah, when he went over to the Senate, is like a light switch got flipped. Yeah. You know? I'm just wondering what you think. Uh... I, I think there are two issues, uh, one of which friends of his say is the problem. I think there's another one. Let me do the, the one that I think by itself first is – The nature of the Senate, Uh, the closer Flake has gotten to his re-election, suddenly you see an uptick in the scorecard for the Club for Growth And the years. This is what a lot of senators do. They're fairly liberal the first couple of years they're in the Senate when nobody's paying attention. And then in the year before their election, suddenly they're conservative again. But there's something else that Flake's friends say, and that is in the House of Representatives, There was an institutional group of conservatives. Um, You had at least two dozen other guys who were club for growth candidates in the House who had each other's back. Uh, When you got to the Senate, if Flake was a a man unto himself by and large, uh, he had Rand Paul there. He had Mike Lee there. But that was it. Uh, they added Ted Cruz over time. Rubio came in, but he wasn't necessarily a a club for growth guy. There just wasn't the institutional support. And if you wanted to get anything done, well, you had to be in Mitch McConnell's back pocket. So Flake decided he was going to be one of those people who wants to get things done, uh, to heck with ideology. And he got in Mitch McConnell's back pocket. So he was a reliable vote for Mitch McConnell in the Senate where he didn't have to be in the house because he could stand out a little bit and make his name. Um, That's what happened, according to friends of his. But then there's the nature of the Senate as well. It is 41 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404 872 Zero seven five zero one eight hundred WSB talk. I have to admit to being slightly tired. I have been up since three o'clock this morning. I had to be on uh, Fox Business right at five. Normally, I get up at four for that. No, uh, woke up wide awake at three o'clock this morning and couldn't go back to sleep. And didn't want to try because if I fell back asleep. I would be so exhausted by the time 4 o'clock rolled around that I wouldn't have been able to get up. So, went up to Carrollton, uh, did a book signing in Carrollton this morning, and went over to Atlanta, uh, had to pick up some stuff for my wife, got home. It's been a long day. And while I was waiting uh, to pick the stuff up for my wife, uh, some medicine, I, I noticed, uh, and it had popped up early this morning, and went back and reread it to make sure I hadn't misread it uh, Chris Riley who is the chief of staff to governor deal made some interesting comments that I hope you will take note of let me just read you from the AJC because I you know I don't want you to accuse me of dragging my biases into it so I'm just going to read you the AJC Governor Nathan Deal's top eight urged the candidates in the crowded gubernatorial field to strike a cautious note next year with religious liberty proposals and other socially conservative legislation warning that embracing contentious measures could imperil the state's bid for Amazon's second headquarters. There are concerns about the rhetoric in a political campaign about what's being spoken, said Chris Riley, Deal's chief of staff. As for Amazon and other firms eyeing the state, he said, The message going forward is, don't measure us on the what-ifs, measure us on the what-was-done. His comments Monday came at a politically Georgia discussion with former Atlanta Mayor Shirley Franklin and political insider Jim Galloway at Manuel's Tavern. Uh, they were in response to a pointed question about the long-running debate over religious liberty by State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver. Deal defied fellow Republicans last year by vetoing the legislation amid threats of economic boycott, saying it would have undermined Georgia's reputation as a business-friendly and welcoming state. He was roundly criticized. All four of the leading Republican candidates for governor, uh, Cagle, Kemp, Hill, and Williams, have pledged to sign the legislation. Riley said Deal's office will continue to work with those campaigns and ask them to remember when they speak, those headlines go as quick and far as the CEO's desk of corporate executives. He added, if I told you they weren't paying attention, I'd be fibbing. Now, Riley noted that religious liberty isn't the only issue that keeps him up at night. There are others socially conservative legislation that keeps him up at night. What do you think that legislation might be that keeps him up at night? Guns. Guns. Yes. The Second Amendment. Because those CEOs of those companies, they don't like the Second Amendment any more than they like the First Amendment. You see that we we have the chief of staff of the Republican governor of the supposedly conservative state of Georgia saying that Republicans in the state legislature should avoid passing socially conservative legislation lest it hurt us, lest it impact us. So in other words, we're going to serve money, not God. We're going to abandon the values of the voters of this state so that we can attract Fortune 500 companies. Listen, folks. I mean, are you paying attention here? Are 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 you awake? This isn't this isn't just religious liberty here. This is your gun legislation too. This is your expansion of concealed carry. This is your your access to guns. This is all of your Second Amendment legislation is in this too. Because the very same CEOs at Amazon and elsewhere who hate. The free exercise clause of the First Amendment, they really hate the Second Amendment. And here is the chief of staff from the governor's office saying these things keep him up at night and we got to be careful. We can't pass this conservative legislation or we may lose out on getting Amazon. We may lose out on getting another Fortune 500 company. Folks, let's just call this what this is. This is Republicans in Georgia, in leadership, exposing that they talk a good game on your values, but they don't really share them. They're there for the money. They're not there for you. You elect them to represent you and your values, and they are admitting to selling out your values. Because they think bringing in a Hollywood movie franchise or Amazon.com is more important than your values, is more important than religious liberty. There are over 30 states that have a Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and all it does is it says the courts have to treat every part of the First Amendment with equal levels of scrutiny. It doesn't even cover the 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 cake baker who doesn't want to bake the cake for the gay wedding. It only covers uh, how the government impacts him. But see, this is a backdoor on abortion because Hobby Lobby was able to get around uh, the abortion mandate because of the federal version of RIFRA. That's all this is. But yet here you have Republicans saying, stop doing all that conservative stuff, even though we say we're conservative because we want Amazon. We don't want your values. Uh, one of my favorite actors has died, uh, Robert Gilm, who Benson, I loved when I was a kid, the show Benson, uh, it was such a good show, and he was a brilliant, brilliant actor, uh, seemed to be an all-around good guy, he has uh, passed away at 89, he's had prostate cancer for the last 25 years, uh, battling it, and uh, succumbed. To the, to the cancer. Mm, good guy. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know who, who is remarkably, given his image earlier in life, when, when I was a, a teenager um, in the early 90s, is Mark Wahlberg, then Marky Mark. He has become very committed to his Catholic faith and did an event last night in Chicago uh, where he talked about uh, being in jail and joining gangs and uh beating up someone because they were vietnamese uh, a very honest and frank conversation uh saying that he's had to ask god for forgiveness for the movie boogie Nights, even though it was highly successful uh it was sinful and he won't let his kids watch it it is uh, fascinating to watch him uh grow and mature in his faith i read a biography of him a while back, or a profile of him i should say in a magazine uh that he's been laser removing all of his tattoos and doesn't want any of his kids to get tattoos um just fascinating when we come back I want to talk about something I don't want to talk about because I really have wanted to avoid the subject. I don't want to talk about it. I I think I need to talk about it at this point, even though I don't want to talk about it. Uh, yep. The Bill O'Reilly situation. We got to go there when we come back. We have a y'all my night has suddenly been made things are looking up uh, welcome back it's Eric Erickson here news 95.5 am 750 WSB I just got a package in the mail went out to check the mail uh, during the break uh, Kevin Ward has sent me a package if those if you don't know Kevin uh, he is the owner and pit master of 441 south I follow him on Instagram at some point he and I are going to get together and and fo- one day I want to learn how to roast a whole pig in the backyard like build the build the pit with the cinder blocks and all and stay up all night um and and roast it. The- I want to learn how to do that uh, community bonding experience I, I want to learn that and I just the more I've gotten into barbecue and cooking and whatnot and been following kevin and 441 south it's the word for f-o-u-r and then the number 41 south.com and they sent me some some of their rubs uh, sm- my mailbox smelled delicious when i opened it oh i'm gonna have to get i've got a turkey i gotta smoke this is perfect timing thank you kevin i'm excited um makes my night okay i want to talk about something that i don't want to talk about I really, I don't want to talk about the topic, but I feel like it is my job to talk. It feel like, uh, I don't care what I feel. I think it is my job to talk about the news of the day, whether I like it or not. Uh, there, there are some things that I have to dance around. I am an employee of Fox news and I have always taken the position, whether I was at CNN or here or, or there that I, I don't talk about the shop unless it's positive. I'm not going to publicly criticize someone who is my employer. I may say it privately, but I'm not going to say something like that publicly. And some people do. Some people at Fox are openly critical. Some people at Fox go after each other. I, I've been I, attacked by other people at Fox and I just, I don't like to respond publicly. I don't think it is, is good form to do. And it's like biting the hand that feeds me. But uh, O'Reilly is not there. And I think that conservatives are handling the O'Reilly situation badly. And it is a tribalism that has invaded all sides. But it is a tribalism, a, a protect our own from the evil, awful, nasty other side, including the New York Times. It is a tribalism that costs us our moral authority and integrity. And it puts him in actual real danger. And that's what I want to talk about, uh, that that us conservatives, because I'm not doing it, conservatives protecting Bill O'Reilly, giving him a pass, serving his apologies, puts him in actual real danger. Okay, so let, let's deal with the facts first. Bill O'Reilly uh, sexually harassed women. Uh, I don't care what he says. I don't care about his denial. It's true. And how do I know it's true? Well, I know it's true because an organization, a media organization, does not pay tens of millions of dollars in settlements to people who are making it up because all it does is it incentivizes others to make it up. You fight. That is why there, is, there are a couple of cases that they're refusing to settle. Because yeah, I, if, if they settle those cases, it's just going to incentivize other people coming forward. They only settle the ones where there's fire. And then if you're Bill O'Reilly, I'm sorry, but you don't settle a case where nothing has happened for thirty-two million million, one third of your net worth. You just don't. Y'all, I was a lawyer, and I did do sexual harassment cases. I defended them, and I, I worked for the plaintiff. And you don't settle for $32 million, even in New York City, when you did nothing wrong. You don't settle for a third of your net worth with payout over time when you did nothing wrong. He did something wrong. And for O'Reilly to go out publicly and wave in the air the retraction by the woman who was going to sue him, his former lawyer, to say this is proof he did nothing wrong is horse manure because she signed that paper in exchange for $32 million. And if you read paragraph three of that statement very carefully, she says, um, I have no claims against Bill O'Reilly based on certain things, including emails. Um, That to me as a lawyer who used to write these statements reads as I had other claims against him, not these emails and whatnot. There were other things out there. But I'm waiving all of my claims in exchange for settlement. Bill O'Reilly did something. He did something bad. And now he's out saying he's angry with God. He feels like he's being punished, uh, that he did nothing wrong. Uh, These are all money grubbers. He's blaming the victims, all of this stuff. You surrounding Bill O'Reilly and refusing to acknowledge your own common sense, that no one pays anyone else $32 million unless they've done something wrong, you are putting Bill O'Reilly in danger. What danger? The type that no one ever talks about. By you preventing Bill O'Reilly from having to repent, you are allowing him to be in rebellion against his creator, and you are allowing him who fail to move on. He's out there blaming God when he should be repenting. He's out there blaming God when he should be blaming himself. God did not sexually harass those women. God did not pay tens of millions of dollars to multiple people. God did not pay one woman $32 million for God's behavior. Bill O'Reilly did that. And as long as you're willing to call these women money grubbers, as long as you're willing to say it's it's the lie in New York Times uh, attacking a conservative like Bill O'Reilly, and he's not a conservative, by the way. I don't know Bill O'Reilly well, but I know him well enough to know he's not a conservative. He's a populist at best. As long as you are willing to do that, you are allowing Bill O'Reilly to not repent. You are denying him the need to do it. You are ensuring, if this continues, that he has a really bad day on the last day. I don't know his beliefs, I don't know his salvation, but I know the Bible is very clear. You may get into heaven on faith alone, but you're going to be judged on your works. And you are setting Bill O'Reilly up for never having to account. And because you are setting him up for never having to account, because you're apologizing for him, because you're making excuses for him, you're allowing him to make excuses and never apologize. You're allowing him to blame God instead of taking responsibility for himself. It is the exact same concern I had with a lot of people during the 2016 race, where everybody was making excuses for the president such that he never actually had to account for his sins. He never actually had to say, I'm sorry. He never actually had to repent publicly or privately. And Bill O'Reilly very clearly hasn't publicly or privately done so. In fact, we know he hasn't done so privately because he's coming out publicly still blaming the victims and everyone else and not himself, and now he's mad at God. You defend him, you surround him, you protect him, you deny him the very thing he needs right now, a right relationship with the Almighty, who instead he's mad at, and he has the luxury of being mad at because a lot of people are telling Bill O'Reilly he did nothing wrong. He did $32 million worth of wrong and won't admit it. That's a problem for him now and on that last day. It is 26 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 404 872 Zero seven five zero one eight hundred WSB talk. You know, the Democrats are having a really hard time convincing anyone that the Republican tax reform effort is a bad thing. I mean, it seems like m- most polling suggests the public is favorably inclined to a simplified, tax code so they're going after the estate tax again that the republicans are protecting the rich and they're using tax policy center numbers because it's independent it's the brookings institute it is a liberally funded organization uh full of people who lean to the left it is not a centrist or independent tax agency it's a liberal group the tax policy center and according to them only 20 small businesses or small farm estates owed estate tax in 2013 those estates owned an average of owed an average of four point nine percent of their value in tax. Y'all. Here's the thing. They say small farms, but you know who gets hit the most by the estate tax? Yeah, they there are millionaires and billionaires in Hollywood and Hollywood and trust fund managers, but the people who get the hit hit hardest are the farmers who have a bunch of land that has increased in price. And their heirs get hit by the estate tax and they've got to sell off their family farm to pay it. Now, it is true, it is a fact that a lot of those farms are now big corporate entities. But it is also true that there are a lot of them that aren't. And families have to go through all sorts of discombobulation to keep farms and families through trusts and and, um, giving away the land early and having to pay the gift tax on it and on and on and on. I definitely think the estate tax needs to be restructured. I, I have to confess to you, though, that as I get older, I am less and less inclined to make the estate tax a hill to die on. And the reason for that is very simple. And it is, by and large, it is a bunch of liberals who get taxed. And the more money we take from these liberals upon their death so that they can't flood a bunch of foundations, the less money their children and grandchildren have to fund a bunch of left-wing causes uh, that work against the country's national interests. So it's just not a hill to die on for me. Well, it used to be, um, but it's not anymore. Okay, so I guess to some degree I've saved the best for last because it actually has taken, so Charlie sent me this story and then Philip who manages the research for me sent me this story and then a, a relative of mine sent me this story and I just couldn't believe it was true and yet it is. Thousands of Americans are going to scream helplessly at the sky on the anniversary of Donald Trump's election. Over 4,000 Facebook users have RSVP'd. Another 33,000 are interested in attending a November 8th event in Boston that is literally titled Scream Helplessly at the Sky on the Anniversary of the Election. (laughs) The event is self explanatory. On the anniversary of last year's election, thousands are going to Boston Common for a party fueled by despair and aggravation. You know what that means? Yes, we got to play it. sadness Mm, yummy yummy guys yo this is people are having a a mental break over the election of donald trump i mean a a a mental break they they have broken with reality some of them cannot accept that he is the president of the united states i mean there are days i think he can't accept He's president of the United States. But these people, they can't accept it. They're having the hardest time. This is really something. I mean, really, really something. I am, I'm, I'm just, wow. I guess I'm, I, a, a professional talk show host, am at a loss for words for this. This is exactly the same sort of thing we're seeing in the cries for help that it amounts to the social justice warriors protesting on campus lest they encounter a conservative. The residents of washington d c apparently um are the, they're also going to show up at the White House and the Vice President's mansion and they're going to do something there as so well they're going to scream there as well. I, I would actually really like. To watch this. I, I would like to watch these people have their meltdown. It, it, it's like the the woman. Remember the video of the woman on inauguration day who was who was sitting there, I can't believe it! won! Oh, I can't believe it. I hate it. It's it just it was it was beautiful. It was beautiful. You know, I, I wasn't a fan of the guys, and I'm still not really a fan of his. I, I'm coming I've come to terms with him. But I will never forget on election night, seeing the meltdown, people crying and whatnot that he was winning. I thought, you know, this ain't going to be that bad. We'll be able to survive this. Watching these people who for eight years made everybody's life miserable with their in-your-face leftism and our way or the highway, we're going to put men in your daughter's bathroom nonsense, suddenly seeing them melt down, this would be a cathartic experience, I think. We should do a listener field trip. That's what we should do. I clap my hands in excitement. We should do a listener field trip. We should. We should get on the Skycopter and fly up to Boston and watch these people and laugh at them. Because they deserve to be laughed at. Because here is the thing that I know to be true. Donald Trump hadn't affected you in any really sort of way. He hasn't done anything to really affect you in any way, shape, or form. He hasn't. Now you could say, oh, he's raised my health care insurance. No, 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 no. Your health care insurance was going up anyway. Because that's what Obama here does. He kept my friend, Bob's sister, Shirley's boyfriend's mailman's milkman's third uncle twice removed from coming from Baghdad. You don't know that for sure. That's an urban. Yeah, I mean, there is no markedly different way that you've gone about your life since November, other than many of you on the left are filled with much more contempt and hatred for your fellow American. That's it. That's the only way your life is different is some of you hate your fellow American even more than you already did. But Trump hasn't done that. You've done it to yourself. I mean, this this meltdown is of epic proportions. They're going to go to Boston Commons and scream at the sky. That's also, by the way, dare I say, a pagan thing. A pagan ritual. Howling at the moon, screaming at the sky. This is what you do when you got no Jesus. It really is amazing how we've come full circle. I mean... 5,000 years ago, people were sacrificing their kids at the altar of Moloch for good harvests, and now you got Planned Parenthood saying you need to abort more kids to, to heal the earth. I mean, it's it's the same thing. I, I've been reading a book, actually. I got it right here for, for my seminary class, The Modern Search for the Real Jesus, an introductory survey of the historic roots of gospel criticism by a guy named Robert Strippel. And he basically chronicles, uh, going back to the, the 1700s, all of the German theologians who over time basically created a, the... the the new army of of liberal theological atheists and all of their ideas and and how they're they're searching for the real Jesus, not the one in the Bible. They don't believe he's real because a real Jesus wouldn't do miracles. And essentially Albert Schweitzer in the early 1900s notes that they've all come up with a Jesus who looks exactly like them. Of course, Schweitzer did that too. But you, you get all, all, the point is basically all these people from the 1700s, 1800s are looking for the real Jesus. Their, their arguments are repackaged and recycled today. It comes full circle. There's no new idea under the sun. And screaming at the night sky is not really a new idea. It is another pagan idea picked up by the left, like sacrificing children for a good harvest or healing the earth. <laughs> Six past the hour. Don't forget you can text the word show to 444-999 and sign up for the daily email and get links to Google Play and iTunes for the podcast. Uh, Y'all, Cosmopolitan Magazine. I I, I hesitate to even mention it, but did you know that if your child dresses up as Moana for Halloween, eh, you're racist? culturally appropriating Hawaiian culture. Now, what if you're now, see, this is again, liberal logic is the logic of an insane asylum, because what if your child identifies as Moana? What, what if your, your son wants to dress as Moana? That that's to be praised. These people want Disney to have more diverse princesses. Disney gives them more diverse princesses. And then if you like that princess, you're a racist bigot. A liberal logic is the logic of an insane asylum. They don't want you dressing up or your child dressing up as Moana. It's so, these people just, they're dumb. They are, they're dumb.